Norma, would you pray for us? Hi, God, again, thank you so much for this new day, Lord Jesus. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, Father God. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need, the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are our joy, Lord Jesus, our peace. Salvation is in you and in you alone, Father God. And we thank you that you have called us out of darkness to your marvelous life, Father God. Thank you that you have called us your ambassador, your people, your chosen generation, Father God. And and you 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 call and you say, Who I should send? Who I will send? And you and we say to you today, Lord Jesus, send us. Here we are, God. Send us. We are your people, God. We are willing to do whatever you call us to do, Lord Jesus. Please, Holy Spirit, help us to be strong and courageous, to be bold. Father God, and to and to cry out to you every single day and to know that you are for us and not against us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can come boldly to the throne of yes, grace, Lord. Father God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, intercede on behalf of others, Father God, and, and worship you in spirit and truth, Lord Jesus. So we pray this morning, we give this time to you, Father God, and speak to us, Holy Spirit, and help us to be obedient to your leading, Father God, not just to be here of the world, God, but to be doers, Father God, and to empower and be so we can be empowered to do exactly what you have called us to do. We thank you. We glorify your name this morning and every single day, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. And I do pray, God, that you would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for you, Father. I pray, oh God, that our hearts and our minds would be attentive to your leading. As we open up your word, Father, as we come, Lord, to sit at your feet, Father, you know exactly where each of us are at and where we've been this week. I pray, oh God, that you would just bring us to, to truth. Father, for it's your truth that sets us free. I pray that we would be a freed people, Lord. I pray, God, that we would be a people growing and maturing in your grace and in your mercy and being transformed as you are renewing our minds. We thank you, Father, yet again for a day to, to rejoice in Christ. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to pass out these scriptures. Those who are maybe online will get the scriptures later. Before we look at these scriptures, Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You are going to harvest what you plant. Again, here we are with this verse in front of us. And I'm just praying that we would continue to be encouraged by it. So that we would continue to, to give thought to what we're thinking. Give thought to what we may be reaching out to. Give thought to what we may be gazing upon. Give thought to where our feet may be leading us. Are you living a life that's honoring Christ? Do you have a desire to please God? To love God with your whole being? And we've been discussing over the past couple of weeks, and, I, and we're going to see it all through the Bible, but it really came to, to, to the forefront a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy. When God, through Moses, was speaking to the Israelites, preparing them for the promised land, he was reminding them that he was their God and that they were to live for him and him alone, that he was supposed to be the center of everything. He's preparing them because he knows what they're about to enter into. This is a promised land. And yet, though it is something that has been promised to them, there's some warnings to them of what they will find in it. As it is with us in our lives. We come to Christ, we accept Christ. We're born again of a new nature. We're no longer of the old, but now we are of the new. All things have been made new. We're no longer living like the old person. Even though the old man, the old woman may want to creep up no, we recognize, wait a minute, we've nailed ourselves to His cross. He doesn't remove us out of the world. No, He sends us into the world. And we know what we were like before Christ. We know what's in the world. And we're called not to be contaminated by it. We're called to go in and to be the light. And as we've been talking for quite some time now, I've been reminding us that the world is getting darker. 
But we as the church are to be growing brighter. Not more religious, but brighter. More like Christ in the way we think, in the way we speak, what we allow our eyes to fall upon, where we allow our feet to lead us. Like we're living a new life. We're now empowered by the Holy Spirit. God in us, living through us, to reveal Christ to the lost. To encourage other Christians to keep their eyes focused and fixed upon Him. Because there is a day in which He will be returning to gather those who belong to Him. So as it was with the Israelites, so it is with us today. Know your God. He's to be the center of your life in everything. He's not pleased with them. Remember what he told them a few weeks ago? He told them, no, you worship at the place that I set. (laughs) Don't grow comfortable in your worship. Because when you grow comfortable in it, you're making it about you. And you've removed me, he says. You know, as as we go through Scripture, we're going to see, he's constantly reminding them, wait a minute, no, no, stop your praying. (laughs) Stop your worshiping. Your heart's not in it. It has just become a form that dishonors God when we make it about us. All through, from the beginning to the end, has nothing to do with us. It has all to do with Him. It's not how good you can be. Because in and of yourself, you would not be good. You could not meet God's standards. But Christ did. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible reminds us that God first loved us in our state of rebellion. And we've talked about this before. But it's so important that we remember this. Like before Christ, we are in rebellion towards the kingdom of God. He's not God. We're not living for Him. We're living for ourselves. Our desires, our wants, our needs. Out of our insecurities. Out of our woundings. Out of our pride. And yet God knows. He knows all. He sees all. He loves all. And so Christ came to the world to redeem us. To be the way. To be reconciled back to God. What we were created to be. Not settling to live for the temporalness of life. But for the eternal things of life. This is the hope as believers that we have. The love of God. The love of God. He knew exactly how the Israelites would end up, and yet he still loved them. Yes, remember, you can't just talk about his love and not talk about his wrath. And you can't just talk about his wrath and not talk about his love. Because he's the God of love and he's the God of wrath. And we see that. And that's why I keep reminding us over. And I know sometimes that may sound like a broken record. But it's so important that we understand 
that each and every single day that you get up, you're behind, if you're a Christian, you're behind enemy lines. And it's going to get harder for you. We're not to grow weaker. We're not to get, you know, discouraged. We're not to grow weary. No, we're to continue to grow and continue to mature to be able to stand in the midst of warfare, knowing that the battle does not belong to us. It belongs to God. He is victorious. And we, and we battle not from a place of defeat. We battle from a place of victory. Not that we've obtained in ourselves, but Christ obtained for us. Because again, we, there's nothing in us that is good, but everything in Christ is good and right. And so there's an understanding that we, 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 we really need to grasp that God, in and of himself, will never abandon us. He says, I'm for you, I'm not against you. Like he's the only one that will be constant in your life. He's been pursuing you from the beginning. Revealing himself time and time and time and time and time again. To draw you to himself. So that you will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That your eyes would be open. Like you were once blind but now you see. Have we been there you all? where all of a sudden the things of God are starting to make sense. Like one day I, I didn't understand it, but all of a sudden today I do. Like pieces are coming together. Like I realize I've been lied to. I've been cheated. I've been led astray from the very one who loves me. So we're behind enemy lines. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We and of ourselves, of our flesh, because we're born in to, to this flesh that is in rebellion towards God. And yet, wait a minute, <laughs> everything that this flesh craves is only out to destroy me. I'm living in a fallen world that everything in this world goes against God, but yet I'm called to be, to go into it, to reveal and to, and to declare the good news of Christ to all that is in the world. We live differently. It doesn't make sense. But all of a sudden, we were once blind, but now we see. And now things are coming together. And we go, wait a minute. There is a way in which we are called to live, and it's to honor Christ. Are you honoring Christ? Because again, don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You're going to harvest what you plant. The world calls it karma <laughs> yeah. but it's a biblical principle as you live as you sow so you shall reap and so my desire today is to really help us and I, and I pray as I've been kind of had a weird week this week but just kind of sitting and, and just allowing the love of God to really minister to us God loves us. And in his love for us, he doesn't call us to, to remain the same. Because with such deception running amok through the land, what defeats deception is truth. 
And a lot of people have a hard time with, with understanding God's love, but that is the, the basic principle, the foundation of your faith in Christ. That God loves me? Like, how could God love me? You know, you know how many people stay out of church? I know I did for quite some time. Now, how could God love me? Because all I heard was how much God hated me. <laughs> Or so many people stay out of the church because they say, well, I'll clean myself up and then I'll come to God. <laughs> and that's not how you do it either. No, no, you just get this understanding. The eyes of your heart are open and all of a sudden you begin to see like, wait a minute. Because the Bible says that he begins this work in us. That the Holy Spirit draws us to himself. Now our eyes are open to see like, oh, such great love. And when we see such great love, we humble ourselves because we see how really, truly loveless we are. <laughs> We're just a mess. We're just a prideful mess. It's all about me, myself, and I. And yet that's not really how to live. But yet that's what the world promotes. Go, do your life, do you, be the best you. <laughs> it's all about you, get for you, gain for you. Christ says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not about you. It's not about obtaining all of that. No, it's about me. And so I want to look at these scriptures, these 18 scriptures on God's love. So 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And I really pray that you'll take these scriptures this week and kind of sit down with them, meditate upon them, think through them, pray through them, ask God for understanding and wisdom to them, ask God how to apply it to your life so that we're not just hearers of the word but we're doers of the word again we're not making it about us we're just not doing when we want to do and giving when we want to give and making it just about us when we when we have spare time god will we'll do we'll 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 open up your word or or we'll pray or we'll give no 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 it just becomes who you are it's a lifestyle and the love that we're talking about today is not the love that we as mere created beings make love to be. Like love. The very essence of love. God is love. And God gave himself for us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Like the Bible says that there's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, God himself, came, humbled himself to earth to save a creation that hates him. Like he humbled himself. He served. He loved. He never denied himself. He never lost his identity of who he was while he was here on earth. He didn't just go along with the creator just to hang out with them. No, he had a purpose. 
He had a plan. The cross. That ultimately by, by the time he reached that point of the cross, he was going to suffer. He was going to suffer. And so I'm asking you today as we hear these scriptures, do you understand truly what it is to be a Christian? The call of a Christian to truly live Christ-like. To truly ask, God, help me to love others. Yes, it's easy to love people that know you and that you have a good relationship with. But are you truly loving others? The lost, the broken, the hurting. Are you seeking when you establish relationships just to gain from that relationship? Or are you just seeking to pour into others? To serve others? No matter how they respond to you. No matter what they say about you. Like to have the confidence in Christ that it's not about you, it's about Him. And it doesn't matter what other people may say about you, how they mistreat you, how they may encourage you and promote you. No, you don't get carried away with any of it. You remain settled in Christ. You're not swayed by men's opinion, rather it's good or bad. No, you're confident in who Christ is and what He's doing in and through your life. Because of love. To truly love others. Have you gotten to a place in your prayer life to ask God to allow you to see others as he sees them? Instead of just rattling off your lips and and, and coming down on people or doing whatever, have you really spent time praying and interceding and asking God to give me your eyes that I may see Because God loves them. God loves them. And so we hear hear this scripture. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 2 Chronicles 6, verse 14. O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all of their heart. Romans 8, 31 verse 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look upon that scripture. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just to say I live in my flesh with the knowledge of God and do religious works. No. I now live in the flesh 
I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Not because I did anything to deserve it. No, but he just came. And he loved me enough to reveal himself to me. He's given me himself, the Holy Spirit, to guide me, to keep him the center of everything that is of me. God is the center. Psalm 109, verse 21, But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. 1 John 4, 9 through 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his one and only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation of our sins. And Micah 7 verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. And Romans 5 Five And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then John 3.16, I've said it a couple of times, but let's hear it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 8.28, And we know that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Just rest on that for a second. That all things work together for good. For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Romans 8, 38-39 For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then John 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. In Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then finally, Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God's love, you all. Ah, there's nothing like it. Nothing can compare to it. When your eyes have been opened, when you really grasp the fullness of how deeply God loves you, 
And he's drawing himself, yourself, he's drawing you to himself. And just think about that for a second. A holy God. And hopefully we're learning of him as we're going through the holy scriptures that reveals God to us. A holy God loves us and is drawing us to himself because of love. Because of love. Oh, that our eyes would be open, that our ears would hear his still small voice calling us. Come from that place and come unto me. And the only way to come unto him is through Christ. That's why I love it and you hear me say it a lot when the Bible tells us that God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. Like there's no other way to God. No matter how man wants to spin it, no matter how deceptive the enemy tries to make it, all these ways to God, no, there's only one way to God and his name is Jesus. No matter how the world tries to pervert it, no, we've got to be able to stand in the assurance of who he is and what he has done to draw us to himself that we may receive his kingdom. I mean, not because of anything we've done, but that we just lay our lives aside. We live in crazy times. I mean, you can just turn on the news and look at everything that's going on. But my heart really was stirred this week because of an old friend of mine. She was an old friend. In fact, she was probably the first Christian I've ever met in my life. I mean, she loved Jesus. She always talked about Jesus. You know, she, she always, every time she had an opportunity, she would share Christ with me. And not just with me, but with everyone else that she came in contact with. Her family was such an influence to me. When I hated Christians, I admired them. And then I saw, as her father was a pastor of one of the prominent church in the area, he fell from grace. <laughs> he ended up having an affair with a lady at the church. And my heart was so broken as a young kid for my friend and her family. But it was even crushed because I saw how the church responded. The church threw the mother and the kids out and kept the husband, the father, and the woman. And so that really just did it, gave me such a bad taste in my mouth for Christianity. But yet she and her and her family were were just just incredible people in how they responded. My heart broke this week for her because she's came out as a lesbian. And my heart just sunk. And so I've just been off this week, just thinking heavily on her. I reached out to her a few weeks ago because she was really heavy on my heart and just kind of wanted to encourage her. But then I saw this post that she posted. And I just go, oh, God. Let God save her. Let her remember your great love towards her. And that's what's happening all throughout the land, you all, all throughout the nation. People are being deceived. (laughs) And not just the homosexual lifestyle, just deceived. 
There's a lot of people that are just falling away. And we've read that back in Hebrews. Like people are going to fall away. There's going to be such a great falling away in the last days that people will even begin to follow the teachings of demons. I mean, she walked away from her husband, from all of her kids. And I was just like, oh, man. Oh, God. I just go, Lord. But yet we see that throughout. And I've said it over the years. When we see Christian people fall away, when we see, you know, rather they're just lay people, rather they're pastors or evangelists or people that you just know who are Christians that once professed Christ, but now they're gone this way. Oh, we're not to be surprised. (laughs) Because where else are they going to (laughs) go? Because all we know is what's behind us. And I've always said that if we choose to walk away, like we've got to be able to look back, see the cross, and say, oh, it wasn't enough. We have to deny Christ, and we then have to re-enter in to ourselves. To just junk, to just filth. Like we all, in and of ourselves, in and of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, the, the workings of the flesh, is nothing but destruction. There's nothing good that can come from the flesh. So we're not to be shocked when people fall. We should be heartbroken. I know how we should be encouraged to pray for them, encouraged to love on them, encouraged not just to tear them down, but to say, oh, it could be me next. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if, I, if I choose to take my eyes off of Christ, if I, if I begin to believe that he is just a common God, if he's stripped down to be unholy, Like, see, when he's not God, then what is he? And that's what's happening in our world today. And it will continue to happen until he returns. Like, they're going to keep stripping Christ down to where there's no holiness. Oh, he's just my homeboy. Just hanging out with Jesus. Oh, Jesus doesn't mind. I can live however I want. Because God loves me. And we begin to lie and and begin to twist his truths. We begin to make him so common that we've made him out to be man. (laughs) And how sad is that? How sad is that? Because that's not how it should be. He's a holy God. He has standards. And I've said before, we need him to be a holy God. I mean, when I was running amok in the world, I knew he was holy, even though I didn't believe in him. <laughs> I knew that, wait a minute, no, I don't want that. Like, I was disgusted by him. I just didn't know him. I believed what I saw and what I was deceived by and how I made him out to be and that's why I always say the lost were so quick 
that we can put all the issues on him, God. God's at fault with all of this. God is horrible. God is unjust. God is this. God is that. We all have even been there or we know people who have been there. But God takes all the blame for everything. But God is just and, and, and there's no wrong found in God. And, and you can't really come to that place of understanding until you understand his love. You understand his character. You understand who he is. There, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no error found in him. The issue is with man. The issue is with the created. The issue is with those who continue to say, you're not God. I mean, I told you, if you look, read the book of Revelation, I think I shared this last week, if you've never studied it, you should, especially in the times in which we are living. Like, if you look at it and you see all that God is doing, even up until the end days, to reveal himself to his creation, like everything, and yet there's still going to be people on this earth that it's going to hold up their fists and say, no, you're not God. And I go, oh God, thank you that I won't be counted among them. <laughs> but oh God, help me to love them, to encourage them daily. As long as there's breath in my body, God, I want to make you known. Do you have a desire to make God known? Do you have a desire to continue to draw close to him? Again, it's not just a little one-time prayer. No, it's a lifestyle of not making him so common, but keeping him holy. Like again, he wants to be the center. He, he's to be in every part of your life, not just your church life. Okay, so this is the day I go to church. And so here, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this time to you. <coughs> and somehow... We think that pleases God. And in reality, no, it doesn't. So let us, again, give thought to who God is as we go through the scriptures today. Go to Deuteronomy. Chapter 23 through 25 is what we're reading. And I want to read this commentary from Charles Spurgeon before we go into Deuteronomy. He writes, The presence of God in the midst of his people was all-reaching and everywhere. No part of the camp was exempt from God's walking in it. He was not merely in the holy place or in the holy of holies between the cherubim, but he was everywhere in the streets of the canvas city and in the outskirts. When troops of Israelites went to war, and consequently set up temporary camps, they were to remember that God was walking in their midst. God's presence was to be the great motive power in their lives. The high privilege of being a people near Jehovah involved continual watching that nothing might offend his sacred majesty. And I just want to say that line one more time. The high privilege of being a people near to Jehovah involved continual watching that nothing might offend his sacred majesty. So as it was with them, so it is with us. 
that continual mindset, that, that continual understanding that my life is not my own, that it belongs to Christ. That's a, a, a true Christian. My life is not my own. I now belong to Christ. And that has to be something that is set before us every single day, every single hour, every single moment, every single second. That we remind ourselves that our lives are not our own. That we now belong to Christ. And that's, again, as I've said before, that's not a burden on us. That's not a, oh, no, that is a joy. That is hope. That, that's the good news. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 23, again, Moses is preparing the Israelites. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. If a person is illegitimate by birth, neither he nor his descendants for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. No Amorite or Moabite or any of their descendants of for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. These nations did not welcome you with food and water when you came out of Egypt. Instead, they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor to distant Arabanim to curse you. But the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned, he turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you. As long as you live, you must never promote the welfare of prosperity of the Amorites or the Moabites. Do not detest the Edmonites or the Egyptians because the Edmonites are your relatives and you lived as foreigners among the Egyptians. The third generation of Edmonites and Egyptians may enter the assembly of the, of the Lord. So again, these are regulations concerning worship. <coughs> When you go to war against your enemies, be sure to stay away from anything that is impure. Again, as we're now picking up through this section of Scripture, this is just miscellaneous regulations. But again, as you're listening to this, some of this stuff may sound strange to us. We may not have a good understanding as why God is calling them to this. But what you can't understand and what you can grasp is that, wait a minute, God is setting up an understanding that he is holy. That nothing deformed, nothing impure, nothing rebellious can be a part of his presence. So any man who becomes ceremonially defiled because of nocturnal emissions must leave the camp and stay away all day. Toward evening he must bathe himself, and at sunset he may return to the camp. You must have a designated area outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. Each of you must have a spade as part of your equipment. Whenever you relieve yourself, dig a hole with the spade and cover the excrement. The camp must be holy, for the Lord your God moves around in your camp to protect you and to defeat your enemies. He must not see any shameful thing among you, or he will turn away from you. So verse 14, highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that, because that's where 
the verse that Charles Spurgeon, that commentary I read, that's the verse he honed in on. And that's a great verse to really understand as you're reading through these regulations and these rules and these laws that you may not have a, a, a can comprehend, but you can always go back to verse 14 and say, that, and look, and it basically sums it up, the camp must be holy, for the Lord your God moves around in your camp to protect you and to defeat your enemies. He must not see any shameful thing among you, or he will turn away from you. And as it was for them, so it is for us. Our lives are to remain pure. They're to remain holy. We're to be, the Word of God tells us, to be set apart for His use, for His purpose. He goes on, verse 15, If slaves should escape from their masters and take refuge with you, you must not hand them over to their masters. Let them live among you in any town they choose and do not oppress them. No Israelite, whether a man or woman, may become a temple prostitute. When you are bringing an offering to fulfill a vow, you must not bring to the house of the Lord your God any offering from the earnings of a prostitute, whether a man or a woman, for both are detestable to the Lord your God. And understand this too. I know we're, we're shocked in, 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 in some things that we see, the sexual perversion that is happening within our society, but it's been around from the beginning. Perversion has been around from the beginning. The appetite of it, the level of it is increasing. <laughs> and as everything else is increasing towards the end of days, but here it is. Again, we see that sexual perversion, no matter how you want to label it, no matter how you may want to look like it, look at it and describe it, it doesn't please God. It's not honoring God. And again, God created sex. And God wants us to enjoy it, but he, he, it's, in the, it's in how he created it between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. And it's to be honored. It's just not just to be given ourselves over and over to anything and to anyone. And you look how things are being deceived and things are being laid out nowadays. I think it was just a few years ago I was warning us about the pedophilia. And that's on a huge... I mean, you, you, you close your eyes, you go to bed, and the next day you wake up and everything, every, everything wants to be normalized. And then we're looked at the crazy ones. Because you, we stand up and say, no, like we have to protect our children. And God help us. God help us to understand that we are to be, as the church, set apart and holy and not caught up in that which is against God. Do not charge interest on the loans you make to a fellow Israelite. Whether you loan money or food or anything else, you may charge interest to foreigners, but you may not charge interest to the Israelites, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do in the land you are about to enter and occupy. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling what you have promised for Him. For the Lord your God demands that you properly fulfill all your vows, or you will be guilty of sin. 
However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have a voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, but you must not carry any away in a basket. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the breads of grain with your hand, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be a detestable, I'm sorry, that would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God has given you as a special possession. A, nearly, a newly married man must not go be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. It is wrong to take a set of millstones or even just the upper millstone as security for a loan for the owner uses it to make a living. If anyone kidnaps a fellow Israelite and treats him as a slave or sells him, the kidnapper must die. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. In all cases involving serious skin diseases, be careful to follow the instructions of the Levitical priests. Obey all the commands I have given them. Remember that the Lord your God, what, what the Lord your God did to Miriam as you were coming from Egypt. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item he is given as security. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm through the night and bless you. And the Lord your God will count you as righteous. Never take any advantage of the poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you and it would be counted against you as sin. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. True justice must be given to foreigners living among you and to or orphans, and you must never accept a widow's garment as security for her debt. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from your slavery. That is why I have given you this command. And I love verse 18. Oh, that we would remember where the Lord has brought us from, that we would remain humble. The Israelites were not to become prideful. They weren't just to be living lives for themselves. No, their lives would be to be, to be lived to honor God. And as it was with them, so it is with us. Oh, that we would remember where he has brought us from, that we would remain humbled, and that we would live lives that honor God. God. And again, when you look at these regulations and you look at all these laws and everything that he's setting up to them, they may sound burdensome. 
But again, we have to have fresh eyes to look upon this. We have to see that it is for their benefit. How many times, I don't know about you, but how many times either yourself or you've heard others say it, but I know how I used to say it when I looked at the God of the Old Testament. He was an angry God. You know, that's how I made him out to be. I had a warped view of who God was. I saw all of his laws and his rules and his regulations, all of that as burdensome. But oh, how I thank him that my eyes have been opened, that I'm liberated, and I can see now why. Why these were needed. As it was for them, and why we, as in the new covenant, have a way in which we're called to live, to honor Christ. Again, we can't just make him out to be a common God. That there's no standards. That he's not holy. Because once we strip him of that, he's no longer God. Our lives would never change. We will remain enslaved to our flesh. And ultimately, when we stand before him, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, God, help us, you all. So again, this isn't burdensome. This This is actually... The weight is lifted off of us. I mean, again, everything he's laying out for them is for their benefit because it keeps him the center. So, let me read that one more time. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from your slavery. That is why I have given you this command. Then he goes on, When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in the bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and for the widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive tree, don't go over the bows twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Remember that you were slaves in of Egypt. That is why I'm giving you this command. In chapter 25, suppose two people take a dispute to court. And the judges declare that one is right and the other is wrong. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate to the crime. But never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbor. You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. If two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. The first son she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will be not be forgotten in Israel. But if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, she must go 
to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of the brother-in-law by marrying me. The elders of the town will then summon him and talk with him. If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her, the widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal, I'm sorry, pull his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. Even afterward, in Israel, his family be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. If two Israelite men get into a fight and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of another man, you must cut off her hand. Show her no pity. You must also, I'm sorry, you must use accurate scales when you weigh out merchandise. And you must use full and honest measures. Yes, always be honest. Weighs, I'm sorry, yes, always use honest weights and measures so that you may enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All who cheat with dishonest weights and measures are detestable to the Lord your God. Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck <coughs> and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land He's given you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven. Never forget this. Again, God is preparing his people to enter into his promise. And as it was for them, so it is for us. God is preparing you each and every single day for the inheritance that's coming for you. His kingdom. Christ is returning. And oh, the joy that we should have as Christians. Just as the Word of God says that we should be crying out in unison with the Spirit of God. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. That is our hope. That's the hope that we have as Christians. And until that day, and until we are in Christ, in that heavenly dwelling place, we're to continue to be growing, maturing, transformed. That's the hope. We don't grow weary. We don't give up. We don't turn back. We don't start following weird teachings. We don't start just getting comfortable with stripping him down and making him nothing. No, we maintain the knowledge in which we know to be true that he is God. From the beginning and forever. Like he's never going to be dethroned. He's God. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse 13 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 13 through 37. Jesus' words. 
What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in the wicked Tyre or Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. This is Jesus. Not just talking to one person, but to a whole city. Not everybody is going to follow Christ. And we've talked about this before. Jesus says, I, you know, I would rather you be cold or hot because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I know again we like to strip him down, make it common, make him common, make him this weird hippie guru who, who just pass out hugs all day and muffins, makes it easy for you. But that's not Jesus, y'all. Do you, do you hear Jesus' words here? He said, and you, people of Capernaum, you, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Oh, oh, that we can rejoice. Has your name been registered in heaven? That's the good news, you all. Not the works you do. We can't boast by the works we do for Christ. No, we rejoice in the fact that our names have been registered in heaven. And not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, <coughs> thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to childlike, to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then, when they were alone, He turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen, I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. 
One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told them. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Again, when we see these interactions with these religious men, again, these religious men were the leaders of the day. But they weren't leading God's people to God. They were leading and controlling God's people for themselves. (coughs) And that's why they took up an issue with Jesus, because now all of a sudden they felt threatened. Now all of a sudden, the God and, and, and the Messiah whom they have read about, whom they were waiting upon, was there, and they didn't recognize him. And that's why I've always said they had a knowledge of God, but they did not know God. And as it was for them, so it is in our day and the days to come, and that's why we're warned, warned all throughout the New Testament of false teachers. Teachers who promote themselves, teachers who promote a gospel that is, that is for your benefit and you alone, get what you can get and get it now, and, and they twist the words of God to manipulate them, to, to, to control people, to allow people to live however they want on this earth. That's why I've always warned you all, if you hear a gospel that's giving you the right to yourself, that's not the gospel. Run from it. Turn from it. That is not truth. The gospel is Christ. It's all about Him. The need for a Savior. Man is sinful. God is gracious and kind. That He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God made a way through Christ for mankind to be redeemed, to be reconciled back to God. And there's no way around it. And and now these religious men are challenging Jesus. Their intent wasn't pure. Their intent was to try to trap him. And I love how Jesus always deals with them. He goes right for the heart. He exposes the heart of the religious. He He did it then and he does it today. If you know truth, you'll be able to stand up against the religious. They'll get active. They'll get angry. They get aggravated. They will attack you. And that's why I've always said, it's not so much that the world is going to be the, the, the ones who attack the church. It's going to be those within the church that aren't truly saved. That'll be the first to try to devour truth. And not in the devouring in a good way, but to try to strip it down. And so this man arrogantly looks at Jesus and says, and who is my neighbor? And I love this parable. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along But when he saw the man lying there, 
he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. What a great lesson. The priest and the temple assistant did not stop. They should have been the first to stop, but they didn't. They chose to remain religious, and they chose to walk by. The Samaritan, who was, back in those days, the Jews hated the Samaritans. There was a great sense of prejudice. Um, I mean, they, they despised the Samaritans. They thought they of them as half-breeds. And yet Jesus uses a Samaritan as an example. Those whom you look down upon, those that whom you despise, stopped and cared for this man. And he forced the religious man to answer his question. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Mary replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Come on, you all. That's what Jesus tells us. Now go and do the same. Go care for others. Go serve others. Don't think so highly of yourself that somehow you've arrived and that you possess and yet you can't give. You can't serve. You can't love. No, no. Go do the same. So we gotta, we got to be mindful not to, to become religious. I saw this meme, I guess that's what you call them, the other day, and I got a chuckle out of it. The, the pastor said, some of y'all are all worked up on wearing a mask in church. He says, but yet you've been wearing one all these years. And I thought, God, that is so hilarious. Because he's basically calling out the religious. People come to church and they pretend, look, I'm okay. Praise God, hallelujah, they know all the right things to say. They can probably they probably know scripture from front and back, left and right, and probably could teach it. You know, they could probably pray with, with sincerity, and yet it's just a mask. Yet it's just a form of religion. 
yet they'll be the last to serve, yet they'll be the first to gossip, to backbite, and to tear down. I mean, come on, we got to recognize. Are you genuine? We're talking about yourself before you look at others. Like, do you have a genuine faith? Or is it just a put on? Is it just a show? It ought not to be. And you say, well, how would I know? What is your responses? How are you serving others? How are you serving Christ? How are you loving others? Is your life just about you, me, myself, and I? I show up when I want. I'll toss some coins in. I'll serve if it makes me look good or if the person I like is there. And we make it about yourself, then something's wrong. But when it becomes genuine, when it just becomes who you are, you know, and God, I just want to, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve others. God, I just want to love you. I just want to love others. God, I want it to be less of me and more of you. God, I have a hunger and a thirst. I want to be discipled. I want to grow. I want to apply. I just don't want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. And so Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Show mercy. Extend mercies to others. Go to Psalm 75. Psalm 75. God is honored in Judah. His name is great in Israel. Jerusalem is where he lives. Mount Zion is his home. There he has broken the fiery arrows of the enemy, the shields and swords and weapons of war. You are glorious and more majestic than the everlasting mountains. Our boldness enemies... Oh. Wrong page. I did. Yes. So let's go back. Psalm 75. We thank you, O God. We give thanks because you are near. People everywhere tell of your wonderful deeds. God says, at the time I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. When the earth quakes and its people live in turmoil, I am the one who keeps it, I'm sorry, I'm the one who keeps its foundations firm. I warned the proud, stop your boasting. I told the wicked, don't raise your fist. Don't raise your fist in defiance at the heavens or speak with such arrogance. For no one on earth, from east or west, or even from the wilderness, should raise a defiant fist. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. For the Lord holds a cup in his hand that is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours out the wine in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dregs. But as for me... I will always proclaim what God has done. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. For God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. Oh, do you know your God? We give thank, we thank you, O God, verse 1. We give thanks because you are near. People everywhere tell of your wonderful deeds. And then God says, at the time I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. Listen, the wicked prosper, you all. 
And that's why we read a few weeks ago when the psalmist was really transparent when he came at a crossroad because he was questioning what is going on. The wicked are perishing. They're healthy. Everything's going right for them. And here, your people are suffering. And then he says, but I was reminded. Oh, have you been reminded of who God is? Have you been reminded that this earth is not your home? Don't look at what other people are getting. Don't look at what you may think the blessings are for them. Because in the end... Judgment is coming. That's right. Judgment is coming. So just settle within yourself if you're a Christian. Verse 9, but as for me, I will always proclaim what God has done. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. For God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. Oh, that is our hope, you all. Go to Proverbs chapter 12. Verses 12 through 14. You got three nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 12, verses 12 through 14. Thieves are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well rooted and bear their own fruit. The wicked are trapped by their own words, but the godly escape such trouble. Wise words bring many benefits, and hard work brings rewards. Oh, that we would grasp wisdom, you all. That we would seek for wisdom in how we should be living. Let me close this with this last song, and then I'll close us in prayer. Deep in. 